Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Scripture reading for today is Genesis 12, 1 through 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. I remember my first day of work at West Hills Friends, over seven years ago now. Lori and Wilbur, where are you at? Hey there, hi. Lori and Wilbur uh, let me borrow their car. We didn't have one. And I drove cautiously to the meeting house. Mike was waiting for me in his office and suggested we take a walk. We snaked through hidden trails and arrived at Lamb's Thriftway, just down the road here, to grab something for lunch. We sat at a picnic table, and as I unwrapped my lunch, Mike's first words to me were, I want you to fail magnificently. I looked at him in shock. <laughs> what? It was my first day on the job, and my supervisor was already looking for me to fail. Failing was the last thing on my mind. I wanted to succeed magnificently. This was my dream job. Failure wasn't a part of my plan. Thankfully, Mike didn't say, I want you to fail magnificently, and then quietly turn back to his lunch without saying another word. That would have been really awkward. What he was saying to me was, I want you to try something so out of the box, so new, so wild. I would rather see you fail at trying something magnificent than to play it safe. The years leading up to this moment at this picnic table with Mike, being told to try something extravagant, hadn't come into focus for me quite yet. About three years before this first day of work at West Hills Friends, I was sitting in a rented out room at the library of my college, Eastern, Eastern University. Sitting around the table were eight starry-eyed young adults with a dream. We were fed up with the church as it was, having witnessed the height of the religious right throughout the George W. Bush years. We longed for a new way of being Christians in the world. So we dreamed together. Over the next year, we threw together plans to move to Denver, Colorado to start an intentional Christian community. We were so young. And I remember us trying our best to iron out all the details of creating a community. 
I remember that at times we got bogged down in trying to prepare for every hypothetical situation. And during those times, we encouraged each other to remember just how cool it was that we were even giving this a go. It was with this commitment to the dream that we threw a lot of caution to the wind and pointed our moving truck to the west. And guess what? We failed magnificently. We failed so, so, so much. Within weeks, we were in shouting matches with one another at community meetings. After about half a year into this experiment, Beth and I started actively searching for what would be next for us. We knew our time in this experiment was already over. As we started the search for both, we both started seeing a spiritual director. One of the first questions she asked us was, what do you dream about for your life? As if Beth and I were twins, we simultaneously said, we want to move to Oregon. We looked at each other with mouths agape and started laughing. Our spiritual director said, then dream. Encouraged us to embark on a two-week spiritual discipline of only dreaming about moving to Oregon consistently dismissing any voices of doubt or worry. It was during those two weeks that I found a little church named West Hills Friends on an online, online job posting forum. And here we were again. A moving truck pointed west into the great unknown. We had moved 1,700 miles from home once already, and now we were taking another 1,200. Taking another huge risk. We spent every last penny we had to move here. We were throwing a lot of caution to the wind on this as well. I only had part-time work lined up here and Beth's employment situation was shaky as well. And yet we knew we were doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing. So here I am at a picnic table with my new supervisor who's telling me to fail magnificently. And only now can I see that from 2008 to 2010, we were living out that idea of dreaming, failing, and dreaming again. During that time in our lives, we knew we had to do something different. We were young enough, and we were committed to the idea that God was calling us to experiment with what the church might look like. And sure, much of what manifested in that calling failed. But I cannot separate that failure from the journey of winding up here at West Hills. And now I look at that experience and wonder what can be learned from the process of dreaming, failing, and dreaming again. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that the church, as we know it, is going through monumental change. I'm weary of statements like that, as I'm sure that change always feels big to those who are experiencing it. And change in the church has been fairly constant across generations. But a recent Pew Research study has some interesting findings. A major new survey of more than 35,000 Americans by the Pew Research Center finds that the percentage of adults ages 18 and older who describe themselves as Christian has dropped by nearly eight percentage points in just seven years. From 78.4% in an equally massive Pew Research survey in 2007 to 70.6% in 2014. 
Over the same period, the percentage of Americans who are relig religiously unaffiliated, describing themselves as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, has jumped more than six points, from 16.1% to 22.8. My reaction to this research isn't paranoia. It is simply a reality I receive reflected in the stories of my peers. They are releasing themselves from religious experiences that have done tremendous harm to them and to their peers. We could talk for hours and perhaps days about the reasons for this, but we don't have that time right now. What I do wonder about is the loss of relevancy of the church. In 2005, I joined a group called Restoring Eden. Some of you may remember the self-proclaimed one-eyed Christian environmentalist, Peter Ilian, who came to speak to us a few months ago. Peter was the founder of Restoring Eden, and he was inviting groups of young Christians to lobbying weekends in Washington, DC, headed up by large environmental activist organizations. On the day we arrived in DC, Peter guided us through the subway system to a mixer being held by the World Wildlife Federation. I have to say that so slow, because I want to say the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> <clears throat> we were a ragtag group of budding Christian hippies who were inspired by the aesthetic of John the Baptist. Imagine the surprise when we flung the doors open to a mixer filled with polished professionals and politicians. Before long, the entire room wanted to know about us. Before long, we were overwhelmed by people coming to shake our hands. They couldn't believe that a group of Christians had even thought to come and lobby for the environment. I think about that story and I wonder what other spaces in our country and world it would be surprising to find Christians. Obviously, we find ourselves in tumultuous times. With every passing day, we are met with news that makes us wonder if everything is coming apart at the seams. Within this chaos, heartbreak, and fear are people working and putting their lives on the line for change and to protect the most vulnerable in our society. I'm thinking about the prophets of the church today, the voices within that are calling us to confront white supremacy, to open our doors to refugees, to be truly welcoming to the LGBTQ community. We have done our own responding to this chaos, and yet the work isn't done. It never is. And so we continue dreaming about what this can be, and we keep working to make those dreams reality. I've been invigorated by the creative potential of the church. While there is much to be anxious about, especially as we look at the relevance of the church declining in the world, I see us standing at a threshold of change. I'm curious what walking through that threshold would look like if we allow ourselves to dream about the wild, exciting, revolutionary, new way of being the church in the world. And the potential of this doesn't depend on a larger institution, friends. Here we are, a group of about 100 people, gathered around some shared values and hopes, but with diverse and incredible gifts. We don't need to wait for approval to start the work of dreaming and doing. We can do that now. But I know, almost as well as anyone else, the crippling fear of failure. Mike will tell you that I haven't exactly heeded his encouragement to fail magnificently. 
When I look back at the risks Beth and I took after graduating college, I'm honestly surprised that I volunteered to do any of those things. There was something that pushed me beyond my fears of failure, and I think that something was God and the hopes I had for the work of the church in this world. Having grown up evangelical, I cannot help but think that my disillusionment with that tradition and all of its emphasis towards purity and righteousness was actually what opened me up to a more wild and mystical relationship with God and life. I had spent my formative years in the church hyper aware of my shortcomings, my sins, and constantly feeling disappointed in myself when I'd succumbed to temptation. I can see how, if the core of your Christian identity is avoiding sin, you purposefully create environments that are pure. It is far less likely for you to fail in those spaces. When the stronghold of evangelicalism began to crumble for me in college, it felt like light streaming into a dark place. My thrust towards following Jesus wasn't to avoid the world until I was safely tucked away in my mansion in heaven, but rather to immerse myself in the messy but beautiful world and to bring heaven down. I wonder what about the ways in which we rob ourselves of the potential behind our dreams, both personally and corporately as a body of people listening to God's leading. I wonder about this specifically within our own tradition. I wonder if times, if we can stifle leadings when we try too hard to get it completely right before actually doing it. Don't get me wrong, I'm deeply moved and convinced of Quaker process, but I have wondered how many leadings and dreams have gotten lost in the process of making sure every, T, every I is dotted and every T crossed. I wonder how many leadings and dreams have gotten lost in the fear of failing. I, want, I wonder what releasing that fear looks like. I wonder still what might be possible of a church buzzing with creative energy and inspired by the counterintuitive, upside-down nature of Jesus. Friends, might we feel this energy of something on the edge of breaking through? How can we be part of that? Taking into account our own energy and our own gifts. Some queries. What do you think God is leading us to do in this time in our lives, both personally and as a meeting of friends? How is fear watering down those dreams? How might we be invigorated by the idea of failing magnificently so long as we tried something magnificent? How might we be showing up in unsuspecting ways in the world?